0: Well, we're in our second week of our series on the Sermon on the Mounts, and uh, last week what we saw is we saw how Jesus kind of opened his ministry, and and he did so by both declaring or preaching or teaching and demonstrating, that's showing off what the kingdom of God was, was and how it was breaking into the world through him. That's what really happened when Jesus was born of that virgin and he came and he lived here on earth. He was showing us or he was causing there to break in upon this world, the kingdom of God. He he was coming to pierce our darkness, to pierce our everyday life, to pierce our brokenness with wholeness. He broke into our brokenness in order to bring redemption and bring wholeness. And that's incredibly great news. He showed that he had come to redeem or to bring wholeness to our brokenness. And that's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is life the way it was meant to be life under the rule and reign of Jesus. That's, how, that's what life was meant to be. That's how this world was made to be. That's how you were made to be. You and I were made to live under the right, righteous, good, holy rule and reign of Jesus. That's how we were made to be. And that's why everything broke when your great, 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 great grandfather, Adam and Eve, when they turned away in rebellion against God. And that has been our legacy ever since, is generation after generation after generation of those who are turned away from God, trying to find any way, any rule to live under other than his righteous rule and reign. And now we come to the sermon that was recorded, to us, recorded for us by Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest or longest single discourse that we have from Jesus. So you see why it's so important. And what we see is, is what's going on is the crowds have come out and they've gathered around Jesus because he's been going through the villages and preaching and proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting demons out of those who are oppressed. He's been helping people. He's been doing good and he's been proclaiming that people need to repent or turn away or from their own life to him because the kingdom of God is breaking through the earth, into the earth through him. And these crowds have now come out and they've gathered around to see Jesus and to hear him teach. And what we see happens is he goes up on this side of this hill or this mountain and he calls his disciples or his followers. So there would have been kind of like any number, like, a large number of people around him, but there would be sort of like differing, very, you know, varying stages of people who were committed to Jesus. You know, those who were kind of coming out to see what was happening just out of curiosity because they were bored. And they hear something was happening out to where this guy named Jesus is out there. And so it's like, it's like, the, it's like the Palestinian version, ancient Palestinian version of reality TV. Hey, let's go see what, what's happening with this guy out in the middle of the desert. So they gather around him. They, we hear he's doing some really cool tricks, some amazing things. Then there's some other people who had heard him or been around him, and they're kind of curious. They're kind of see like, what is going on here? And then there would be some people who had been around him or heard him enough that, or seen enough that, like, there's something about him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I go wherever he's teaching. I'm going to listen to what he's saying. I'm, I'm a follower of his. I'm, I'm a, a student of some level with him. And we know that there was some that was even closer because we saw last week that he went to them and he called them and said, come and follow after me. He said that to Peter and Andrew and James and John. He called them to be his disciples. And he says that he, in the middle of this crowd, he gathered his disciples and he pulled them together so he could teach them about really, about the kingdom. And so he would have had his disciples around him and probably a crowd around that. And we know that it's probably what happened because we think that there's this passage in Luke, that's sort of a parallel passage. And what we see there is he preached over days and the crowds gathered and grew as he taught. And as he gathered his disciples or his followers around him, he addressed them and he describes or teaches them, this is what the kingdom of God is. And he begins with what has become the most famous part of this sermon. It's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitude is a is what he uses to describe the, the type of person who is in his kingdom. Now, it's interesting when you think of where Jesus is and who he is primarily preaching to or teaching to, whenever he's describing who is in the kingdom of God or what it's like for the person to be in the kingdom of God, because he's talking to Jews. He's talking to descendants of Abraham, the people who were chosen by God. They inhabit the promised land that was promised to them through Abraham. And so if you're a Jew at this time, the world is very neatly and very starkly divided into two groups. It's divided between those who are God's chosen people and the Gentiles or the pagans. It's the, the world is divided between those who believed in and were the special people of the one and only true God. They were the only ones, the Jews were the only ones who worshiped the one and only true God. And they were the only ones that were chosen by him. They were chosen by him to be his special people. They were chosen by him for him to reveal who he was. He gave him his law. He led them out of Egypt through Moses. He made them a people and brought them into the promised land. They're the ones who didn't worship false gods. They're the ones who worshiped the one and only true God. And the pagans, the Gentiles, were those out there that worshiped all these false gods. We're the ones, the Jews were, that, that, that dwelt in the promised land that God had promised to them and given to them. They're the ones that had the, the temple where God's presence and his law resided. The difference between the Jews who were God's chosen people and those who were outside were stark and big. And so the Jews knew we are those who are the kingdom of God. That's what Israel they thought was, the kingdom, that literal kingdom of God. But now Jesus stands up and he declares to the Jews, to the people who thought they were God's people, he declares to them, this is what it is like for a person to be in my kingdom. But they knew, they already knew, we're the ones that are in with God. We're the ones who are his chosen ones. They're the ones, the Gentiles, the, the pagans, they're the ones out there, they're outside, and we are in. And yet he speaks to them and he says, this is what it's like for someone to be a part of my kingdom. And you're gonna see it flies in the face of their assumptions. Because not only were there these stark divisions in the world between the Jews and the Gentiles to the Jews, but even inside Judaism, there, were, there was stark divisions. There were those who took the law like super seriously and were gonna tr- do their best to do everything just exactly the way God said to do it in the scripture that was handed down to them by Moses. They were gonna do everything that, little to the jot and tittle, that was their, their phraseology, to the jot and tittle of what God told them to do and those who didn't. There were those who were very righteous and those who weren't. There were those who were in and there were those who were out based upon their actions, their superiority. And to them, Jesus' words, the way he starts off this sermon would have been incredibly startling. I mean, his works would have been startling. He shows up and he heals people and he showcased what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God. He brings wholeness to brokenness. He casts out demons. His words would have been shocking, but you know what really shocked them was the ways of Jesus. He showed his power, the power of God to heal brokenness. He, that was startling. He, he spoke, not like their teachers, but like one who had authority. He raised the stakes and called people to repent, but his ways, it was his ways that really stood out to them as he began to speak. He was undoubtedly holy, he was a holy man, and yet he was considered a friend of sinners. He criticized the Pharisees and the teachers, he forgave those, but yet he forgave those who were caught in sin, and he told them to go and sin no more, and to this divided world, those who are in and who are out, also this Jesus comes and he breaks all these paradigms of what they expected. And that's not, like, unlike, it's not really unlike us today. Our world is starkly divided between those who are on God's side, seemingly those who are in, and those who are out. Those who know the right things to believe, those who go to church, those who check all the boxes and do all the holy right things. And yet maybe we find ourselves with this crowd that's gathered around Jesus on this mountainside and we hear this man begin to open his mouth and describe to us who is actually in his kingdom and what his kingdom is actually about and maybe we would find ourselves a little bit shocked and surprised as well. Because we often use the words and works of God as Christians to simply show who is in and who is out. We've used The the words of God more to criticize and judge those who are outside rather than really understanding that they are supposed to showcase our hearts and draw us in to understand what it means to be actually in the kingdom of God. Maybe we're in that crowd and we hear Jesus say, Blessed are the strong and the righteous. In the good. Blessed are the smart and the church intenders. Blessed are those who have memorized scripture and vote a particular way. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that what he said? He he shocks. Us, the way he shocked the Jews, and he begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. Blessed, he turns it upside down, he, he changes their expectations because for the Jew, the one who was blessed was the, what meant that the, that person was favored by God and therefore happy. There's this picture on the word blessed, is a, it's the, someone who is favored by God and therefore they are happy. And don't we all want to be happy? We all want to be happy. And and the Jews, just like us, like the the assumptions that we often have is that those who are happy are, are those who things are going well for, the strong. But Jesus, the blessed one, shows up and he shows us what it really, truly looks like to live the blessed life. Before we get into the Beatitudes and we see what he actually said, I think we have to stop and look at the blessed one who is preaching this sermon to us. Because if we get to the end, if we work our way through this sermon and we really spend our time talking about the, the nuances of what he talked about and, well, he said you could divorce if you did this or he said uh, this and this is what that word means, then maybe we're missing part of the point we're not seeing the preacher who's preaching the sermon. Jesus shows up exhibiting what it looks like to live the truly blessed life because he is the only truly blessed one. He alone shows up as man, 100% God, 100% man, but, and lives in unbroken relationship with the Father who created us all. He alone shows up and is free from sin. He alone shows up and is able to be truly selfless. He alone shows up and is truly a whole man. He alone shows up unmarred by the effects of sin. In fact, he is so whole that he actually heals others. When he touches those who are troubled and sick, he sends out virtue into them and he heals them. He alone is the king who lives in and confers blessing. You know what the effect was? And this, why I want us to think about this is, think about what the, Contrast Jesus with maybe yourself or the modern evangelical church, our church. When Jesus shows up and he shows off what it means to be a whole man, what it means to live in the blessed kingdom, the blessed one shows up. You know what the effect is? People flock to see him. People flock to see him and they stay to listen to him and they don't flock to see a show. Those some amazing things were happening. They didn't flop because he knew all the like current movie quotes and could bring Netflix shows into his sermon illustrations. He said some hard things. We're going to see as we go through the sermon. He said some hard things, some hard things to digest, and yet they came and they stayed and listened to him because they were left asking, "Who is this man?" Who is this man? And that is what we should be left asking. In the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our darkness, when we see someone break in who is full of wholeness, who is full of light, the Blessed One Himself, it should leave us saying, Who is this man? And that's what the crowd had to deal with. They had to not just deal with the intellectual notions of the things that He was preaching about, but they had to deal with the preacher Himself. Who is this man? He was a burning light showing what God is like, what his kingdom is like, and that light is still burning today. Jesus himself is offering a way into the blessed life, the happy life, the whole life, but it only comes from the blesser. It doesn't come from me saying, hey, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and you say, all right, now I'm going to go and be poor in spirit, and therefore I'm going to be happy. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm going to go out, whatever that means, and I'm going to try to mourn so that I can be happy, whatever that even means. Blessed are those who are meek. Well, I'm going to go, try out, and be, I'm going to go out and try to be gentle and meek and, and lowly and, and act like I'm gentle and act like I'm meek and act like I'm lowly so that I, therefore I can be blessed. But the blessing, blessed life only comes from the blesser. And who does he say will be blessed? Well, he lists eight or nine, depending on how you count them, the attitudes that are the characteristics or actions or attitudes that mark a member of the kingdom of Jesus. These are the values, the characteristics that Jesus values. But here's the thing. They're also the ones that he creates, Uh, Jesus was sitting with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, hey, I know that you're a great preacher. You're a great teacher of the law. I know that you are. And Jesus answered him back. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. As, As I... As we go through these Beatitudes today and over the next few weeks, what I want us to feel is this way of like, I, these are characteristics, these are values that are a part of the kingdom. This is what it looks like for somebody to be in the kingdom, but you can't go and make yourself be these things. They are things that are created when you, when God breeze into your soul and you are born again from above by the blessed one. When the blessed one blesses you, these are the characteristic that he creates in you. Because entering the kingdom of God is something ultimately that happens to you. It's an entry into a drastically new kind of life. The kingdom of God is not just me trying to be better, live a better life, be more moral, so therefore God can bless me. The kingdom of God is a radical, is so radical a transformation that Jesus could only describe it as someone is born again. And Nicodemus said, how can somebody, how can I go back and be born again? And he said, it happens only by the spirit of God. The spirit, like the wind blows where it wills and you can't see it, and you can't control it. The Spirit of God breathes upon your soul and causes you to be born again. That's how Peter described it. He said, Peter 1, verse 3, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. "'According to his great mercy, "'he has caused us to be born again to a living hope "'through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.'" He has caused you to be born again. Jesus is telling us that this is a drastically different kind of life, so much so that you and I need to have something happen to us in order to make us fit or meet or able to meet, even be these things. Jesus is telling us what it looks like to live a a truly, to truly live life. What does freedom look like? What does success look like? What does it mean to be truly happy? It means to be a part of the kingdom of God. It means to be born, and again, born again, born anew, born from above. Sometimes we think that Jesus came to simply help us live like our same lives, but live them a little bit better. Like Jesus comes in and he, he's supposed to help me live my life, but live it better. Help me be, live my life, but nicer. Live my life, but more moral. Live my life, but a little bit better. Higher than I would have otherwise. And Jesus comes and knocks that notion totally on his head, on its head. Jesus says that he showcases that his kingdom and the world kingdom are in diametrically opposition to each other. And that confronts us. Remember when we summed up his teaching last week it said that Jesus showed up and he said repent or turn or change for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words you and I aren't naturally in the kingdom and the kingdom isn't just something like a better kind of life it is a totally different kind of life because by nature you and I are opposed to Jesus and his kingdom we have to change or rather be changed in order to enter it. And that's where we come to these lists of the beatitudes, these characteristics. Jesus opened his mouth, verse two of chapter five. And taught them, saying, First of all, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not blessed are the strong, not blessed are the smart, not blessed are the moral, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not what we would kind of think, right? It's what the Jews thought. But he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first thing, and I think this is kind of in particular order, these beatitudes, the first thing he says is that, this is those who are in my kingdom, it is those who are poor in spirit. That word poor, poor in spirit, it means to be empty or emptied. It means to someone who realizes or is helpless and without options. It's the same word for poverty. It's someone who realizes that in myself, I, I don't have what it takes to get through. I don't have what it takes to get through in life. I don't have what it takes to to be a better person. I don't have what it takes to get in good with God. I don't have what it takes to prove myself or my self-worth. It is simply realizing, coming to an end and saying, I am emptied and helpless. I have no options. And again, that came as such an incredible, incredibly stark contrast to the, to the Jews who believe that to be blessed so it was someone who was good. God blessed somebody because they were faithful to him. And don't we sometimes think that, right? Why do you get so angry and so anxious when something bad happens to you around, or around you? Don't doesn't something inside your soul just say, like, what did I do? Or I did so much good, so many good things, why would God let this happen to me? But meeting Jesus makes us see that we are actually poor in spirit. It's describing the response of someone who truly comes to Jesus as the king of kings and lord of lords and they realize I am not all that I thought that I was. I'm not as good, I'm not as smart, I can't earn enough, I can't be enough, I can't be smart enough, I can't prove myself enough, I can't earn, I can't earn enough money, I can't earn enough accolades, I can't be good enough in myself, I am poor in spirit. When I see Jesus, it causes me, it makes me be poor in spirit. And, and the question to me, is that actually a blessing, right? Because that sounds like it's bad. It sounds like something that we should fight against with everything in our soul. In fact, everything around us, the people around us, our culture around us, says that's something that we should absolutely fight against. Everyone is trying to increase their sense of self-worth. We're all fighting for it. But I don't know about you and your self-worth whenever you're fighting for it, but to me it kind of feels like, like like a tent that's always sagging. I I work hard to erect this sense of self-worth, but yet over here, then it's sagging. And I try to pick that up. And as soon as I put a pole up over here, it's drooping over here. We have a, uh, in our our backyard, we put up a a couple weeks ago, um, uh, for our party, one of those like open, open air tents, you know, and, uh, like a lot of things, we ended up leaving it up instead of putting it up like we should have. And uh, we had good reasons. Like, oh, it's sunny. We're, we're enjoying the backyard. We're out there. Um, but last, this past week, it rained. And now uh, when, when Megan sent me, a, sent me a picture of our backyard, it showed this tent like all like on the ground. And so I went out there. And I'm like, I'm gonna try to salvage this thing. And I... I dumped the water and kept propping it up and every time I because it's broken it's bent it's, it's, it's messed up and every time I would prop it up with this kind of this leg over here then this one would be would, would be sagging and I would try to get a couple up and then this part would be weird and every time I got something something else was off because it is it is inherently broken now it cannot stand up on its own and be like it used to be and that's what our self-worth is like We were made to have self-worth, but our worth was derived from God. And when we are separated from God, it is inherently always sagging. And every time we try to prop it up, it is a false prop. It is always going to sag somewhere else. We have a saggy, propped up sense of self-worth. And Jesus says, shows up and he says, blessed are you if you are poor in self-worth. Blessed are you if you realize that you really don't have it together. Blessed are you if you realize that you are not the center of your, of your world or the world in general. Why and how is that good? Because you realize it, that it re-centers me out of the center and it recenters Jesus in the center. Jesus says, I will give you worth but not because, not derived from yourself, but only derived from my worth for you. Everyone who comes to Jesus to enter his kingdom has to first be undone. I am poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you come to God and you think you have it together, you think that you're the center, you think that you are good enough, you think that you can hold your life together, you think you can be moral enough, you will never enter into his kingdom. You'll wave at Jesus as a friendly teacher, you'll admire Jesus from afar as a really good, powerful guy, but you'll never bow your knee to him. And inherently, Repentance, coming to Jesus, is coming to him as king. That means whether I understand everything about you, Jesus, whether I buy into everything or not, I I don't really have enough to, it's not worth going through all those things. All I know is that you are the king and I bow before you alone as the king of kings and Lord of lords. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn. That also sounds negative, right? Because who wants to mourn? It doesn't sound like a a good way to advertise church, right? Come in everyone who is poor in spirit, come in everyone who, who wants to mourn or is mourning. That's really the next step after becoming poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Means that I don't just realize that I'm helpless without Jesus. I realize that it's my own attitudes and behavior and sin that is the problem. Blessed are those who mourn. is those who have a, a sorrow over their personal realization that the problem is actually me. It's not just that I'm, I'm helpless and hopeless, but the problem, the actual, my core problem in my life, the core problem between me and God is me. It's my own sin. And meeting Jesus causes you to mourn. Whenever you see Jesus in his beauty, in his glory, in his goodness, you mourn. Not just for what, because what sin has done to me and Though I do, I mourn over also what sin is, my sin has done to others, but I mourn mostly over how it has grieved God. I look at Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, and I mourn. I, 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 look at, I look at his death and I mourn, And but that is where it begins to turn. I look at Jesus' death and I mourn because I see that what happened to him on the cross what happened to him in his suffering before his death and his suffering death on the cross, I, I realized that what happened there happened because of my sin and I mourn. But then I realize, but that happened because of my sin. I realized that his death is for my sin. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. How are you comforted with such a deep mourning? I, I mourn that I'm poor in spirit because I'm helpless and hopeless apart from God. I, I mourn because of my sin, the effect that it has had on my life and the lives of people around me and the, the way it has grieved God. I see his death on my behalf, but yet I begin to be comforted by his death because I see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus offered out to me, bringing me in. What kind of man is this? My heart wonders. I'm empty and hopeless and helpless. Not only that, but I'm an incredible sinner who continually has turned away, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? We sang it, even as a Christian, I'm prone to wander away from him. I felt it this week, I felt it this weekend, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, and yet then I look and see. In his suffering, I see Christ for doing it for me. When I see him looking at me today, offering out his nail-scarred hands to bring me in in my brokenness, to bring me in in my sinfulness, not holding me back and saying, all right, go fix yourself up first and then come in, saying, no, come in because I paid for it all. That's why I did this, to bring you in to me. And my mourning begins, begins to be comforted. I don't know why. I don't know what kind of man this is. I don't know why he would do it, but praise God that he did. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And there's no other comfort except to see the cross for me. To see that risen Lord for me. Blessed are the meek, he says in verse five. For they shall inherit the earth. Jesus goes further and he says that the person who is blessed is not just someone who is poor in spirit, realize their helplessness. It's not just someone who is, who is mourning. They realize the, the effects of their sin upon themselves and upon their friends and family, and upon God himself. But he says the person who is blessed is the person who is meek. That means humble and gentle. In other words, blessed is the person who isn't fighting for their rights, and it's the progression of the first two beatitudes that lead to this one. Without those, it could seem morbid, just to, just to be meek or to be lowly, to consider myself as lowly. And that's how we tend to think of meekness. It's the, a person who's kind of naturally quiet and kind of mousy or timid or someone who's lacking self-assurance. It's the person who seems to struggle with life. And again, for the Jews, this would have again have been upside down for them as they hear Jesus say it, just as it is for us today. The person that they consider blessed, blessed or is the same kind of person that we consider blessed, the self-confident, the aggressive, the successful. The per- person who's blessed is the one who successfully does stuff, right? That's who we herald. We believe it's, Those people who inherit or conquer the world. The smart, the strong, the aggressive. And doesn't that kind of wash sadly into the church today too? What type of pastor or leader gets the follows and the downloads? In fact, it's all about the follows and downloads. Pastors and leaders talk about building a a platform for their ministry, usually in the guise of, quote, reaching more people for Jesus or, quote, having impact in culture. When in reality, they exchange a tickling of our ears for popularity and success. We spend vast amounts, as American Christians, vast amounts of time and energy and money and fighting those nasty liberals out there who are ruining our country. We spend vast amounts of time and energy criticizing and opposing others who are outside. We call them names in the name of Christ as if political gains usher in the kingdom. Is that what Jesus is saying here? He said, Blessed are the meek, the lowly, the gentle. Maybe one reason that the culture around us looks into Christianity and kind of like shrugs its head and moves on is maybe they see us talk about the works of Jesus. They see us herald the words of Jesus, but we don't model the ways of Jesus. We are too busy criticizing those who are outside and missing the point that we ourselves are on the outside. There are those of us here probably in this room, not thinking about anybody in particular, but there's probably those of us here in this room who are so inoculated by cultural Christianity and are so bought into fighting cultural fights in the name of Christianity that we don't realize that we are so far away from the blessed one himself. But meeting Jesus, meeting the blessed one, makes you meek it makes you realize when you meet the Holy One of Israel, when you meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died for your sin and my sin, when we meet him, that puts us in our place. And it's meeting us and then that being put in our place, becoming meek that we meet the gentle and lowly Jesus ourself. Blessed are the meek, why? Because they will inherit the earth. How? because it's given to them. Not taken, but given. The way into the kingdom of God is only by grace, not by earning. Blessed are happy are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, and those who are meek. Now that kind of leaves us asking some questions. How do I respond to these descriptions, these characteristics? Do I get frustrated at them? Do I write them off as mere ideals? Do I go out and try and act like I'm those things, like I'm gonna act like I'm poor in spirit, I'm gonna act like I'm mournful, I'm gonna act like I'm you know, humble and lowly and meek? Or do I let them sift me? Do I let them sift me as a Christian? If I call myself a Christian, do I let them sift me and say, is this the kingdom that I live like I'm a part of? Is God doing this in me? Is he making me poor in spirit? Is he making me humble? Is he making me, am I so in relationship with him that I'm continually mournful and yet continually comforted by Jesus and his cross? and his love for me? Do I come to Jesus as the blesser and ask him to change me? That's what we want to do as we sit in these beatitudes, as we work through this sermon. To see the blessed one, to let his words shift sift us And to come to him and say, Jesus, change me, cause me to live like a person who is actually in the kingdom. And, And maybe if I don't exhibit any of these attributes, maybe I've bought into cultural Christianity and not true Christianity itself. Maybe I am a follower of Jesus out on the outside of the crowd, but I haven't been born again from above. If that's you, Today be the day. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to open communion for you. There's going to be two stations, one on each side. There's going to be uh, wafers and uh, the cup of the juice that's going to be handed to you as you walk by. And and what I want you to do this morning as you prepare to come forward is to, to think, all right, these are the people, these are the characteristics, the inner characteristics of those who are part of your kingdom, do I represent these characteristics? Are they represented in me? And if you need to re- do some repentance, if you need to do some, uh, have some conversations with the Lord and have someone pray with you, get someone to pray with you before you come and take communion. If not, come forward and say, God, I thank you that I receive the kingdom and it's not by my work or effort. And God, I pray that you would continually make me one who is poor in spirit, so that I will inherit the kingdom, so that the kingdom of heaven will be mine, that I will mourn that I may be comforted, and that I may be meek that I might inherit your kingdom. And receive it as a gift, just as you receive the bread and the cup in your hand today. If you're not a Christian, please have someone pray with you. Don't participate in communion, we ask. We'd love to just pray with you or if you want to make today the day that uh, you find out what it means to be a Christian even more, we'd love to have those conversations with you. I'm going to pray. They're going to come forward and we're going to worship some more and we're going to partake of communion together. Uh, Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he shows us your nature and your character. I thank you for his kingdom that is uh, not of this world. And Father, I pray that you would grant me and all this repentance for ways that uh, we have uh, bought into the values of the kingdom of this world and not your kingdom. And that you would make us a people, that you'd make us a church um, where Jesus is seen and not us and not cultural Christianity. That you would glorify your son in our midst, we pray. And it's in his name, Jesus' name we pray, amen.